If you're looking for ways to prioritize your health and fitness, run more efficiently, understand food, and somehow fit it all into a fun and family-centered life, you're in the right place. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 31 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today we are going to be talking about a topic that I think a lot of people can relate to and that is running for weight loss. We got uh, all sorts of ways to look at this thing. You've been looking into this for a while and how sometimes running is helpful for weight loss. Sometimes it's not helpful for weight loss. So we got a lot of different angles to look at this guy. Right. And I think that a lot of people, especially women, maybe I shouldn't generalize that. Maybe a lot of men too. I think a lot of people get into running because they want to lose weight. Like if you get into running later in life, you know, as a as a parent, you kind of want to start to lose the baby weight. You want to start to get healthier. I think a lot that's a goal for a lot of people when they start. Yeah, I wouldn't just put it at, at women because there's definitely the whole like, oh, well, I want to lose my mommy weight that I put on during pregnancy. And then dads are like, yeah, I'm going to lose the daddy weight that I put on is, uh, let's say, sympathy during pregnancy. Yeah, but then the dads <laughs> lose weight. You know, they lose like 10 pounds in a week and it, it takes us us moms like a pound a week for God knows how many weeks to lose our weight because men just lose weight faster. Right. Because the world is not fair. Right. Right. So that, that actually is a very good point that we, uh, that kind of ties into some of our points later about like our hormones and stuff. Very much so. So anyway, okay. So there's a couple things we need to think about here when it comes to running and weight loss. We've had a lot of people ask us about this. I know specifically me. I've had a lot of my friends ask me about running for weight loss and all that. And to be honest with you guys, I don't always know what to say. And that's kind of what has put this topic off until episode number 31 because there really aren't definitive answers. And the more I research it and the more I read about it, there are so many different answers. And that's kind of ultimately what it comes down to, that there really isn't one way. There are different ways that work for different people. And so we're going to talk about a lot of those things today and kind of hopefully try to help you guys sift through it because I know it's something that I've been trying to sift through personally. Yeah, it's it's weight loss. It's how to get into training. It's how to deal with so many things in your life. It's a very individual thing. Everybody would love to have a clear-cut, straightforward answer. Do this, do A, and get B. But there's just, there's not a clean-cut answer in almost anything you do in life. Right. I was talking to a friend of mine, and she was a runner, and kind of fell out of the the running habit and she we were talking and she told me you know I really have to get back into this because running helps me lose weight running is the one thing that helps me to control my weight so she was convinced that running was her ticket to weight loss whereas I find that sometimes when I run more I tend to gain a little bit more weight and I think that there is a several things that are going into that, which we're going to start to talk about now. 
but I think that it's different for everybody. And some people running really helps them to to lose weight or to control their weight. And for other people, running can be more inflammatory and can actually cause people to hold on to some weight. And we're going to kind of talk about why that happens today. All right, so which one of these sort of uh, side roads of weight loss should we get into? Okay, so let's go with the big one, which is the calories in, calories out. And is that a myth? Well, this is a giant rabbit hole to jump into. I know. And we're not going to go too, too far down these holes, but we're just, we want to mention these because the calories in, calories out thing is a big thing in the running and exercise world, right? If you want to lose weight, you have to create a calorie deficit and exercise and running helps to create that calorie deficit. Well, it's this whole world we live in. I mean, especially here in the U.S., you've got the like the standard 2,000 calorie diet. Right. As though that's a magic number that everybody should live at 2,000 calories. Total baloney. It's, it, it's a round number. That's the, that is the biggest convenience of it is it has a lot of zeros at the end of it, so it's easy to remember. Right. But people like you that burn 3,000 calories and then right. there's people that burn more like 1,500 to 1,800 on a daily basis. Yeah. So, so throwing 2,000 is just – it's just an easy number to say, but it has very little actual significant meaning. Right. And there's even question marks out there now of whether or not calories even matter at all because that's not how your body processes food because – the way that calories, the whole concept of calories, do you want to you jump in here, Mr. Scientist? Well, well, I mean, the way they figure out calories for, for a food is they take a small amount of the food, like they measure out 100 grams of food, and then burn it really, really hot, and figure out how much temperature change you get in like the water surrounding the container burning the food. And that gives us... That gives you how many calories are in 100 grams of food. Okay. It's, so, a, it's a unit of energy. Right, because calorie is a unit of energy. But burning something in a very, very hot flame is not the, something, the same way that your body processes that food. No, it's not even the same. Like the way that you process and I process food are probably not even the same way because what how your body breaks down a, a carbohydrate or a, a protein or sugar is different based off of the... the what's in your gut versus what's in my gut. Right, and that's going to get us into the gut stuff later on that we're going to talk about. So are calories a myth? You know, I think that right now in the world of nutrition and science, that is a debate. There are people out there that say calories in, calories out still is relevant. And that's still how the best way to lose weight. And then there are people on the other side that say calories are irrelevant. The only thing that matters are your macro nutrients and the ratios of your fat, protein, and carbs, and also how our hormones are regulated and the diversity of our gut microbiome and the probiotics and the prebiotics. And so there are really two major camps and with a lot of stuff in between. So where do you, what do you even know what to believe? Yeah, I don't know. The more, the more you look into it and share different things with me, the more it's like, well, calories in seems like a giant question mark. And if calories in is a giant question mark, does calories out matter all that much? Exactly. So let's get into the second thing. So the, yes, the, the second thing that we talked about were our hormone responses to the food that we eat. So when we eat a food, 
different hormones are released. And even when we're just, you know, living, we have different hormones that are circulating in our body and they're released at different times. So some of the main hormones that regulate our appetite are leptin, which is the hormone that tells us when we're full, ghrelin, which is the hormone that tells us when we're hungry, and insulin, which helps to regulate how our body responds to the food that we take, whether or not it gets shuffled off to get burned as energy or whether or not it gets stored as fat. So those are three of the main hormones that are kind of at play in the whole eating hormonal response. Excellent. Yeah, I was really hoping you were just going to take over that whole section because uh, I just needed a good explanation of what all three of those were. (laughs) I I knew the names, but what each of them did, I I get nothing. Right. And so based on the types of food that you're eating and whether or not you're eating a high protein meal, a high carbohydrate meal, a high fat meal. Giant pixie stick. Giant pixie (laughs) stick. Yes. Or those, uh, or those, oh, the fun dips. Yes. Those love straight sugar. Depending on what you're eating, those hormones are released in different amounts and it tells your body what to do with the calories that you're eating. So there's been a lot of research on all of these hormones lately and how that affects, you know, how we process the food that we eat and how much of it gets stored as fat and how much of it gets shuffled off to burn. Is that where the world of... uh which sugary foods are a bad thing shows up. Is that through the the release of insulin? Is that sort of the major connection here? Well, kind of. The So if you, you're eating a diet very high in processed foods and sugars, then your insulin is constantly being released. And then your body ends up adapting and becoming less sensitive to the insulin. So then that's what causes the road to diabetes is because your body – has so much insulin circulating that insulin's not really doing the job it was created for anymore. And it's not as effective. Okay, so I think I think I'm right on this one, but check with me. Is that when I eat a cookie and it doesn't satisfy me and I need my my best response is that tomorrow I should eat two cookies because I'm I just keep wanting more sugary foods? Kind of. It's it's related, right? It's kind not of. a direct thing, but it's kind of related. Yeah, kind okay. of. Um so that's those are some of the hormones that are kind of at play. So the third thing we kind of want to think about when we're looking into all of this is when people want to lose weight, a lot of times they're looking at a number on a scale. And I think there's a big difference between muscle weight and fat weight. I don't think that most people – weight is a a number that a lot of people hold on to because it's very – why am I Objective. blanking? Thank you. <laughs> you can stand on a scale and a specific number pops up. You can stand right. on a scale. It's easy two, to measure. Two months later and a different number pops up and you're like, ooh, I've lost weight. Right. But I mean, you sum this up perfectly about is is the number on a scale what most people actually want? Right. Because if you ask someone and you say, is it more important to you that you weigh 130 pounds or is it more important to you that when you look in a mirror, you see some muscle definition and you see that your waistline is smaller? And I believe that most people would say the second one. I really think if you took all scales out of the world and you just gave people mirrors that, you know, that might lead to a better better promising future here. Mm. And that's one of the reasons that they tell you a lot of times to take pictures when you're trying to lose weight because people don't want to take pictures of themselves without their clothes on. You know, they don't want no. to actually see it. But sometimes just taking that picture and seeing it 
is motivation for you to do things that you might need to do to, to change it. Right. And then when you actually see physical progress a couple of weeks later, a month right. later, but the number on the scale isn't changing, exactly. you can look at the picture and say, okay, well, the number's not changing, but my body is. Exactly. And that is so important because you might notice that your stomach is getting smaller, or your waist is getting bigger, or not bigger, smaller, and um, your pants are fitting a little bit looser, but that number on the scale might not be budging much because you're building muscle and you're probably losing fat along the way, which is a great thing. Which is good, but muscle weighs more than fat. Right. So... That kind of brings us also to the ridiculousness of BMI. Oh, please, please let me go on the BMI. This is the most ridiculous number there is. It's it just this random measurement based off of how tall you are and how much you weigh and you work a little division and it, it just pops out, oh, you're obese or, oh, you don't weigh anywhere near enough. Right. It's the silliest scale because it doesn't take into effect how much of that weight is muscle, how much is fat. It just throws a number out there. And it puts these like incredibly athletic people. I think the uh, the one that really topped it for me was like Olympic level decathlete was considered obese. Oh, really? A decathlete? I'm pretty sure that I think it was uh, Eaton in after the last Olympics. I wouldn't guess that because he's so muscular. Right, but I mean, I, I understand that for like bodybuilders and stuff because they have so much muscle. But I feel like decathletes are tend to be slimmer. I mean, Eaton doesn't look. He's pretty built. I mean, he's strong as heck. I mean, he's the most athletic man in the he's world, right? Fittest man alive, right? But I wouldn't, I wouldn't guess that he would have tipped the BMI scale. I, I could have sworn that it was that it was the decathlete. I know that any sprinter is going to throw you off the scale, right? It, well, and bodybuilders and any of the football players, you know, a lot of them. If oh. you look at them, they're they're five percent body fat, but they're showing up as obese on the BMI scale. Yeah, look at them with a shirt off, and there's it's just nothing but chiseled muscles, and you're like, right. oh no, no, morbidly obese. Right. No, no, they're not. Right. So, you know, take the BMI with a grain of salt. I know a lot of doctors out there use it because it's an easy number. It's just one of those easy numbers. You're like laughing over no, here. No, I'm laughing because you said take it with a grain of salt. And our next topic is inflammation food, <laughs> inflammatory <laughs> foods like salt. <laughs> that's true. On the outline of salty foods is next. Okay. So that's what we have to say kind of about muscle weight, fat weight, and, and BMI. All right, the, the, the last thing we kind of want to talk about is inflammation. So when you're looking at the number on the scale, you have to also think about inflammation. And when we're training, when we're running, we in order to get better, we are causing a state of inflammation in the body. So like we talked about in a recent episode, I, I can't remember if it was our last episode or the one before that, when you are training and trying to get stronger – in order for your muscles to get stronger, you're breaking them down. And when you go to sleep and your body starts to regenerate, they build back stronger. But that is a low-level inflammatory response that allows that to happen. It's a positive thing. Like most people see the word inflammation, they're like, oh, that's an automatic negative. But it's not. Like this is the appropriate body response to get you bigger and stronger and better and healthier. Right. But when your body is inflamed... We, you tend to retain water, and that's going to make the number on the scale go up. So I know now, if I'm sore, if I wake up sore from a hard workout, I'm not going to step on that scale. I mean, I might, but I might realize that 
I might be one or two pounds heavier than I was yesterday because my body is holding on to that water to, so that it can repair itself from the hard workout that I just did the day before. Yeah, I've seen you actually get on the scale and say this. Like you looked at the number and you're like, yep, I was a little sore just stepping onto the scale. That's about what I figured it was going to be. Right. Another thing to keep in mind when we look at the number on the scale is if you what we consume and how that affects how our body is retaining water as well. So if you consume alcohol the night before or a lot of salty foods, you're going to be retaining water. And so that number on the scale is going to be a little bit different. So it's important to think about what the overall trend of our weight is when we're losing weight or when we're trying to lose weight. Day to day, you're going to have fluctuations. You're going to be up and down and up and down. But as long as the trend is going downward, that's really what we're looking for here. Yeah, you're looking for a long-term picture. What happens from from Monday to Tuesday is not as important as what happens from Monday to two weeks from now Monday. Exactly. Is that is the line generally dropping? Right. So let's actually get into how to how to lose weight and awesome. really more how to lose fat is really what we're trying to target here because yes. the number on the scale is a nice easy way to track things but really most of us want to lose fat. It's not just, we don't want to lose muscle in the process because the number is not as important as the way that we look and feel and we want to feel strong and we want to, our bodies to look the way we want them to look. Right. Plus, losing muscle is going to end up slowing down your metabolism. Gaining muscle helps you burn even better. Right. Exactly. And that's one of the big problems with these very restrictive, super low-calorie diets that people do. It slows down your metabolism and everything gets all sorts of messed up. I mean, when they did that Biggest Loser study oh, a couple a of years ago, and they found that the the way that they were training these people just led to such damage to their metabolism it was just so sad it, it led to their like normal calorie burn their like resting rate instead of the the standard 2000 they were at like 800 like 600 yeah, yeah it was like nothing yeah and they were big people like you know a lot of them were very tall people or bigger people to begin with yeah. okay so one last thing we want to cover when thinking about things that affect the way that our body either loses weight or holds on to weight is the gut microbiome. Now, the gut microbiome is a term that you may or may not be familiar with. And basically, it's that in our intestines, there are billions of bacteria that have their own ecosystem, essentially. So there's all these tiny little bacteria, and there's good bacteria, and there's bad bacteria. And there's a lot of scientific research that's going into the microbiome of our guts and how important this is for weight loss and just overall health in general and how it affects everything in our body. There's scientists out there that even refer to our gut as the second brain because there is just so much that happens in our gut, in our intestines, and it just affects every single system in our body, including the way that we think and how our body is able to release these hormones and regulate these hormones, it's super duper important. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. And I, I love that the, the term the second brain comes in because it really does help control everything. So the question is, what's the mastermind? Well, your gut is helping figure out how your body interacts with the world around it. Like your brain 
you've got reflexes, but you can kind of like overpower them and think stuff through. It's hard to to overpower what your gut wants to do with your body. Right. And so when people are researching this, they're looking into how to make the gut health improve so that we can overpower some of those responses, like those cravings that you get, those sugar cravings that you get, especially when you're tired or when you have those high processed sugary meals, it makes you want more sugar. Have you ever noticed that? Yes, it does. So the health of the microbiome in the gut, basically you need a diversity of bacteria and we want to feed the good bacteria and we don't want to feed the bad bacteria because those bad bacteria in our gut are things that cause diseases and they're also things that make us crave those sugary foods that spike our insulin and dysregulate our hormones and make our bodies hold on to fat. So we want to not feed those ones and we want to feed all the good bacteria in our gut and those are the ones that want us to eat more vegetables and eat those things that are more nutrient dense that are going to nourish our bodies the way that we need them to. So how do we lose fat? Now again, there's, there's debate out there and I think that there's a lot of different ways to do this. And so we're just going to mention it. I don't think that there is one definitive answer. I think that it's different for everyone based on your age, based on your hormones, based on your goals, based on your activity level. There's so many factors that go into this. So we're going to just talk about several factors today and you guys can kind of take this information and say, all right, what, what kind of applies to me? What am I going to change? What am I, what am I going to experiment with and try out here? Because that's really what it's all about is self-experimentation. You have to figure out what works for you and not worry about what might work for someone else because they could be two completely different things. So we've been talking a lot about what you're taking into your body as far as uh, how to how to lose weight, how to lose fat. But... Let's also cover what you can do, what what sort of physical activities you can do. And I think uh, there's a few recommendations that we've got out there. One of them is HIT training, the high-intensity interval training. It's one of the new catch terms out there, the, the big words, but it's been around for a long time. It just happens to have a new name thrown at it. But interval training, where you push yourself really hard for short segments, does wonders for the body. Right. And everybody thinks about HIIT training now as like the CrossFit and these uh, weightlifting kinds of things, but there's ways that you can do HIIT training with running. Oh, very much so. Short sprints, sprints up hills. Um, the sprints up hills, the more I listen to professional runners talk about the background of their training, they're like, oh no, I do short sprints up hills all year long, two to three times a week. And it's not even like a long thing, but it just keeps this base level of speed. It's building muscle. It's it's huge for the body without being this massive wear and tear on the body. Yeah, and it builds power too. Yes, it, it huge on building power, which it, it increases the ability of your uh, not increases, it reduces the time of impact between your foot and the ground, which helps increase your power that you can get out of there. There's so much positive of running up a hill. And just slowly running through mountains has some good results. But, well, we live in South Florida, and there's no there's no slowly running through any mountains here. No. There is short sprints up overpasses. Yeah, That's, we've got bridges. Yeah, we got bridges. Uh, but what you can get out of sprinting up bridges is phenomenal. Right. So you can do sprints on level ground, but you can also do 
sprints on hills and bridges, which is even more effective. And it changes the way that you run too. You'll notice that if you're running uphill, you have to run up more on your toes. And with a forward lean. And with a forward lean, right. So you're using different muscles. So you're stressing your body in different ways, which is really, really good for your body to be stressed and different ways. Yeah. For those people who don't come from necessarily a running background, if you were in like a team sport and you're thinking of sprints as those horrible suicides that your coach made you do as punishment, that's not what this is. This is actual high intensity because once a coach is like, no, 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 you got to run down and back on the field 40 times because you guys screwed this up. You're no longer sprinting anymore. Oh, heck no. That's not a sprint at all. No, you're just trying to get through it. Right. This is a very short interval of very high intensity with a a decent recovery afterwards so that your next high interval, you are actually back at a high intensity. Exactly. So we would recommend those high intensity workouts only one or two times a week because you don't want to overdo it. If you do those high-intensity sessions every day, your body's going to get injured. You should really only be doing those one to two times a week, but even those few sessions are going to benefit you in so many ways, and one of those is going to be weight loss and increased muscle. Yeah, since we mentioned hills, let's put in a warning on this one. Um, don't sprint down hills. I mean, you can, but the wear and tear in your body is really rough. It's really dangerous. <laughs> it, there's a lot of negatives that come from sprinting down hills. And I mean, if you're training for a course like the Boston Marathon, you do have to actually practice running quickly down hills so that your body knows how to deal with it. Yeah, but, but you're not sprinting down the hill. It, it, it's, a, it's a way of practicing how to run. Don't sprint down the hills. It's it's rarely a good choice. Yeah, right. So, so like, give us an example of a good... Uh, hill workout or sprint workout Mm, sprint like if you're first getting into this uh sprint for 10 to 20 seconds uphill depending on on how much you feel as though you can actually still be at that high high level some people 10 seconds is maxing out at their high level and they're like 10 seconds of running seems hard 10 seconds of sprinting seems almost impossible push it, push it real hard for 10. Other people can get to 20, maybe even up to 30, but 20 is a pretty good number. And then walk back down, get the recovery of slowly walking back down that hill until you're actually able to push it back up. Right. Repeat what? Six times. Right. So you're looking at 10 to 20 cents at seconds of sprinting uphill and it should probably take you about two minutes to walk downhill so that's really like a 10 to 1 ratio pretty much yeah i mean when you're pushing oh, wait, that's not 10 to 1 <laughs> two minutes and 20 seconds that's not that's not 10 to 1 that's six, that's to, six one. to one yeah no i uh i just i assumed you did that <laughs> math correctly that's that's six to one yeah uh, honestly though at at this level of pushing 10 to 1 is a decent number to throw out there that's why i just said yes because mm-hmm. 10 to 1 is a pretty good number to put on it um, but if you if you keep that math going, 10 to 20 seconds times six, that means you're pushing for one to two minutes total. Mm-hmm. And, yep. But the benefits are still there and they're still huge. Exactly. So in addition to the HIT training, we also recommend strength training. If you're looking to lose weight, you need to build muscle because muscle is going to burn more fat, especially when you're at rest. When you have a higher ratio of muscle in your body – higher muscle percentage, you're going to burn more at rest than a lower muscle percentage. 
This works for almost any strength training. You don't need to be in the gym lifting enormous weights. Body weights work, but heavy weights also work. It's simply that you need to be trying to build strength and muscle on your body. Right. And we recommend strength training at least twice per week. Some people would say three times per week. I think two is the minimum that you should be really focusing on building power and strength. I, I got to go yes on that one. Okay, cool. Right. Uh, point number three, low intensity aerobic exercise. All right. This one starts getting into the, uh, the more like, Ooh, does that work? Does that not work area? Right. And we recommend doing this the two to three times a week, that low intensity aerobic base building, basically. I mean, it's, it's teaching your body to just burn through the fat because to perform aerobic exercise, your body has to have enough oxygen and, aerobic exercise you can sustain for a lot longer of a period of time. So for some people, that low intensity might just be walking. You might just need to walk and completely avoid running on those low intensity days. Yes. And the the low intensity days are not there to have these massive breakthroughs in your body. They're there to help support the other days. They're there to help build the, the base that gets you to be able to improve your HIIT training, to be able to improve your strength training. And you can't go out and HIIT and strength train back to back to back to back all week long. You need these recovery days where your body is actually trying to rebuild the muscle and you're not just continuous breaking down over and over again. Right. So examples of low intensity aerobic exercise would be going for a walk, going for a very easy jog where you can easily maintain a conversation with someone else next to you, yoga, swimming, swimming, biking, Yep. but, but doing them at an intensity where you're not breathing heavily. Yes. Yes. This is not getting in onto the Peloton and, and flying down the road. That's, that is a different move on cycling. That is very high intensity. Um, this is, this is a comfortable, relaxing pace. All right. Point number four. Yes, there is stuff beyond just the exercise. And it is, I think I like the way that we've got this put out here is switching your mindset from calorie restrictions to improving the food that you're actually putting into your body. Right. So some suggestions that we can put out there, if you're looking to lose weight, you should try to cut out sugar, try to cut out processed foods as much as possible. Those go together nicely. Right. And choose high-quality, low-glycemic carbohydrates like sweet potato, quinoa, wild rice. There's debate whether or not people should be on low-carb diets and high-fat diets and all these different things. But if you're going to lose weight, you should be thinking about the, the number of carbohydrates that you're eating. And if you're running and training, carbohydrates are important. You need them. We're not saying to completely cut them out by any means, but just think about the quality of the carbohydrates that you're consuming. Well, and think about carbohydrates beyond just the world of grains. Right. You know, fruits and vegetables are carbohydrates. Exactly. And there's a lot of carbohydrates, especially in fruit. Yes, tons. Yeah, fruit fruit is it falls in the category of sugars that are not necessarily the worst thing for you because they're not added sugar, but you do also have to keep in mind that they are a sugary food. Right. So you can't just live on fruit alone. Right, exactly. So the other thing we, we suggest you think about is to consider doing some personal testing to see if there are certain foods that maybe cause your body to become inflamed. 
Some common inflammatory foods are dairy, gluten, sugar, soy, and grains. So if you want to learn more about that, there's tons of resources out there, and I'm sure we're going to do episodes in the future more on this. I don't want to go too far into it, but just consider maybe eliminating one of those groups from your diet for a couple of weeks and seeing if your body feels better. See if it makes any difference. Do that personal testing because some people might be able to eat quinoa and other people might not even though it's considered healthy you know even healthy food can sometimes trigger a little bit of an inflammatory response in the body which can hold have your body hold on to weight more regularly i think you've got that summed up nicely all right so beyond just ways to try to lose weight or lose fat there are also things that you should try to avoid in order to continue to lose weight and one of the one of the first ones is um, the post-run or post-workout pig-out session. Don't finish your run, open the pantry, and just start going to town. That's right. not a good call. Right, and that's why a lot of times people find that they start running and they're not losing weight. And a lot of the time, it's because they are hungrier after a run. Running makes you hungry. Sometimes, but... Also, most people, when they finish a run or they finish working out, they just feel like they should have to eat something. I mean, I'm honestly, when I finish a run, I'm not all that hungry immediately afterwards because I mean, there's an issue of if you finish your run and it's, it's hot, you don't want to eat until your body temperature comes back down. Right. And it depends on the intensity of the exercise you've just done also. Very much. But a lot of people do, they, they have this calorie mindset and they're like, well, I just worked out. So I need to make sure I get some food. And it's true. You do need to get some food, but you don't need to go through and carefully measure out exactly what you eat. You need to put some good food into your body. Right. You need a good mix of protein and carbohydrates so that your body can start the rebuilding process and start to gain the benefits from the workout that you just did. But if you just got home from a very easy walk or a very easy jog, you don't really need to refuel a bunch. And you certainly don't need to refuel with high sugary processed foods. Right. And a lot of times that's what people will do too. There's the whole thing of, I'm a runner because I like to eat a lot, you know? <laughs> well, check the finish line of any local 5K. Right. You're going like, to see oh, that t-shirt did, somewhere. Did you just cross the finish line of running a 5K? So you, you burned some calories. Now here, have three bananas and this sample of a thing and and four bagels, and oh look over there, there's donuts, and it's it's ridiculous right. how much is sitting there, and people are like, well, I, I raced, look, I've got a medal around my neck, I'm going to start eating. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> the 10K that I ran in January, the name of the race was Run for Cake, Yes, and there was literally tons of cakes and cupcakes at the end, and that's what people were eating after the race. That's what everybody was using as, as a refueling product, where right. it's like, well, that's not necessarily what you should be refueling with. No, definitely not. I mean, that's highly sugary processed foods, and there's a lot of runners that think, well, I run, so I can eat whatever I want, and that's going to make you probably gain weight versus lose weight. And they're questioning, why, aren't, why am I not losing weight? Because I run. Well, it's because of what you're putting in your body afterwards that makes the bigger difference when it comes to weight. They say that it's really 80% of what you eat and 20% of what you exercise that actually causes the weight gain or the weight loss. Yes, very, very much so. All right, point two on what to avoid doing the same thing every single day. Right. Our bodies were meant to adapt to things. So if you go out and you run 30 minutes a day at 10 minute pace every single day, your body's going to adapt to that and you're it's going to become very efficient at that 
So you're going to use less energy to accomplish that same task. So if we're going to think about the calorie model, you're going to burn less calories by doing that same thing every day, day in and day out. Yeah, your body just tries to do things as efficiently as possible. So if you teach it, this is my exercise pattern, it then starts figuring out how to do that while using as little energy as humanly possible. Exactly. Like that's just what it wants to do. So that's why you go back to what we just recommended with the HIIT training and the strength training and the low intensity aerobic. You mix it up constantly so the body never knows what you're throwing at it and it's hard for it to adapt to just steady state. It's always changing. Right. Another thing I personally think you should avoid if you're trying to lose weight is severe extreme calorie restriction because if you're running in order to lose weight like your body still needs the fuel and your body like we said you need a good mix of protein and carbohydrates and fats and if you're also restricting calories on top of that while also increasing the amount that you're trying to run it's just going to be too much for your body like your body still needs fuel it still needs energy it still needs to be able to benefit from the hard workouts that you're doing and build that muscle and in order to build muscle you still need food well yeah i mean this gets us a little bit onto a tangent but it's why training to lose weight and training to hit a goal time do not necessarily go very well hand in hand exactly i definitely think that we we wanted to point that out and this is a good time i guess to talk about it they're definitely different physiological goals. If you're trying to lose weight, that's not the same time that you should be also trying to hit a PR in some race. I mean, there's there's some correlation there, but you have to figure out what is the goal of your current training session. If your goal is to lose weight, great. Or your goal is to hit this time. And if in training to hit that time, some weight also happens to be lost, that's that's a coincidence. That's cool. Yeah, that's a bonus. But that you can't train for both simultaneously. I think that's a dangerous path to go down. Yeah, they're very, those goals can be complementary or they can also be opposite of one another. Right. Also, things to avoid. Okay, this one, this one's a little tricky. Avoid eating all day long. Right. If you're trying to lose weight, it's good to have an eating window. And there's a lot of people talking about eating windows nowadays, and there's intermittent fasting and all these other things out there. But any an eating window of like 8 to 12 hours that you're eating and then allowing your body not to eat and to just process you know, its hormones and re-regulate its hormones during the, the downtime when you're not eating has been shown to be very effective for weight loss. One really important thing I have found is to really stop eating like two to three hours before bed. I think that once I finish cleaning up for, from dinner, I say the kitchen is closed for me and I try not to eat again. And if I have that need for something, I'll have a, a cup of hot tea, that herbal tea. and it, it just helps to kind of satisfy me and, and put something into my body without having to, you know, f- eat more food. Right. On, uh, on my level, I try and avoid the, the next thing we have on the point on the outline here is mindless snacking. Yeah. Snacking out of boredom. Right. If you're snacking because you're hungry, then figure out what it is that you want to eat, 
create a snack and eat a snack. Right. But snacking out of boredom is not a good plan, especially if your goal is weight loss. Right. Because then you don't even know what you're putting into your body. Yeah. And I mean, as moms, it's so easy to do that too because when the kids get home, they're hungry and they want a snack and you're standing there and you make them a snack and then you just pop whatever it is that you're making them. You know, they're eating cheese and crackers. You slice off some cheese and you eat it, even though you're not really hungry. Like you don't really need to eat then. And those little extra calories, even if they're just here and there, they add up throughout the day. Again, whether or not calories even matters, who knows? But it, it does add up. It, it, it is, you know, changing your hormone levels. So if we're going to go on the hormone thing, it's spiking certain hormones. And, you know, so it's changing things. Whenever you put food in your body, something's happening. Yes. Yes, something's happening. It's uh, it's still a work in progress. And, I mean, that's what we said at the very beginning of this episode. It's it's why this episode did not show up until the 30s, even though when we were first like, hey, what should we talk about on a podcast? This was one of the first topics we wanted to put in. Well, in it's one, one of, of the first things people asked us to talk about. Yeah, and, I mean, we wanted to put this into our first, like, five episodes, and it was like, we got to figure out how to talk about it first. Yeah, and uh, so... In case you're not sure, we don't really know the answer. And I apologize if that, you know, diminishes our authority in your opinion, but I really don't think there is a clear-cut answer to this. I think that it's very different. Yeah, no, it's running and eating, it really any training, whether it's it's your nutrition, your your exercise program, it is an experiment of one. You need to gain as much information as you can and then try that out on yourself and see what works best for you. Right. And I think the thing that we really need to avoid is just being paralyzed by inaction because we're not sure what to do. Like we just said, there are so many different things out there. Pick one, okay? You just have to pick one and experiment with that for a couple of weeks, maybe a month, and maybe it works for you and maybe it doesn't work for you and then pick something else. Or if you're having good success with that, continue with that for a while. Eventually, your body's going to probably adapt to it and so you'll have to switch it up. I mean, this is a lifelong pursuit and don't be paralyzed by inaction. Like if you really want to lose weight, figure out a, a plan, Okay, I personally think the the first place you have to start is with what you're eating. You need to start by cutting out some of those processed sugary foods. That's that's number one. Oh, well, right there. I mean, that's that's just your starting point. I mean, and a lot of people will drop five to ten pounds just by doing that. Just by doing that and start feeling substantially better. Right. And then once you've done that and you've done that for a little bit of time, then you can start trying to figure out where to go. But don't try to do 400 things to start. Figure out one to go with. And yes, I would say dropping processed high sugary foods is should be almost anybody's first place to start. Yeah. And then when it comes to to your training to help support your weight loss, think about adding in more high intensity things um, one to two times a week and then adding in strength training and then, you know, keeping those low intensity days as well to allow your body to recover. But switching up what you're doing on every day is going to lead to weight loss and it's going to increase your fitness level as well. I love it. So I think that about wraps it up for today. Um, as a, a helpful uh, way to get into the strength training, you can check out uh, some helpful tools we have at rlrstrength.com. It is six strength exercises for runners. Um, it will also have a link inside of the show notes. Yep. Perfect. Episode number 31. That's at realliferunnerspodcast.com slash episode 31. 
And how do they get the uh, the exercises? Go to the website or they put in an email address? Yes. If you go to rlrstrength.com, you're just going to put your email address and that guide will be emailed over to you immediately. Perfect. All, All right. right. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today and we will talk to you next week. 